Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. And by thanking the elders and uh, Steve Sink for my being here today. And I add Steve Sink to that category of people for whom I'm thankful because in many ways the fact that I'm here arose out of a gospel meeting that I was holding at the North Bibb Church of Christ. And it just so happened that Steve visited uh, us there. And we got to talking a little bit about how things are going here at Edwards Lake. And he just mentioned that your preacher might be out some and that there might be some, some opportunities. And uh, I was uh, very glad uh, to put my name in the hack, uh, hat because I have turned down Brother Chris Ellis so many times. I, I know the brothers think, it's like, wait a minute, you know, my, my daughter's married to his brother. That's got to count for something. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, you know, cry. I don't discriminate. I tell them all no. But uh, I just jumped at the opportunity to bear some fruits worthy of repentance. And so very glad to be with you here this morning. As you probably have noticed, my family is here, at least my children are here. Uh, Jacqueline has got a uh, bridal shower that she's hosting for one of the sisters at Oak Mountain, and uh, she thought it would be better that the kids be with me, and I agree with that. I'm glad that they're stuck with me. So uh, I'm glad if you get a chance, Jasmine, Brooke, and Blake, introduce yourself and talk a little bit, although I'll tell you, we can't stand around too long because we've got a busy afternoon, a lot of things going on, so uh, we'll try to be friendly and uh, still meet all those requirements. But it is a pleasure to be here. It's been a wonderful service. Uh, the Bible study was great. I appreciate the, the study of Nehemiah. Uh, that was done, and we stood uh, up during the reading of chapter 9, a portion of that, for about seven minutes, and it was just such a great illustration, the point that uh, the children of Israel stood for four hours. <laughs> so if you started feeling a little tired from seven minutes, imagine what four hours would be. And so just a very insightful uh, meeting, and I really appreciate that study uh, from the brother. Appreciate the singing led by Randy, uh, very uh, invigorated, and very, uh, he just knows what he's doing, and he enjoys it. You can tell he enjoys singing to the Lord, and that's infectious, and uh, permeates everything that's done in, in the service. Uh, thank you for the comments that were, were made uh, at the Lord's Supper uh, and also the reading of God's Word. It was read so distinctly, so powerfully, and I love it when people read it with conviction, and uh, certainly our brother did that for us today, so thank you very much for that. So it's just been a great service so far, and let's continue to worship our Lord. Growing up, I did a whole lot of reading, and uh, I was uh, fond especially of reading science fiction and fantasy, just Everywhere I went, you can ask Dion when he comes, he'll bear witness. Everywhere I went, I had a book with me. If we go on a trip somewhere, I have a book. If we go to the store, I have a book. I'm always reading. And I guess if you're a science fiction reader, you just you kind of have to be a Star Wars fan. I think that's right. I mean, it's just written there. If you like science fiction, you like Star Wars. And so I was no different. I like Star Wars. I say that. The other day we were in the office, and we were, me and the were emailing about something, and there was an associate on there. And he had made a reference to Chewbacca. And the associate was like, who's Chewbacca? Wait a minute. We hired this lady and she didn't know anything about Chewbacca? Man, we needed to change our hiring process. Standards are slipping. So not everybody knows these things, but uh, I do. And there's one particular scene that grabbed my attention years ago uh, in Revenge of the Sith for the uninitiated. It is the third of the prequel films. And it does a lot about how Anakin, who is this young Jedi, the, the one prophesied about to bring balance to the Force, turns into the villain Darth Vader. So how does that happen? Well, at some point, 
Uh, during that movie, there's a conversation between Anakin and Padme. And it goes like this. Anakin says, I feel lost. Padme says, lost? Obi-Wan and the council, Anakin says, they don't trust me. Oh, Padme says, they trust you with their lives. Anakin says, something has happened. I'm not the Jedi I'm supposed to be. I want more, and I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. And I'm not particularly concerned about whether you know Jedi or not, and dark side of the force, those sorts of things. But I want you to focus on something he said at the end, Anakin. He said, I'm not the Jedi that I'm supposed to be. And so in that statement, he shows a couple of things. One, he's aware of the teachings of the Jedi, right? And he's also aware of himself, and he sees this great chasm, this gap between the teaching about what he should be and what he really is. And that bothers him. It torments him that he's not what he's been taught to be. Maybe that does not in any way impress you or ring a chord of familiarity, but let me change it to you. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. I have been in the Lord's church for decades. And, and by this time, I ought to be in a position that I can teach other people. I ought to know the Old Testament, know the New Testament. But if I'm honest with myself, I couldn't teach somebody if my spiritual life depended upon it. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. I, I spend all of my time, all my waking hours devoted to my job and my craft and my profession, which leaves very little time for me to study the Word of God, very little time for me to be the brother and sister, or a brother in Christ I'm supposed to be, very little time to be the husband I'm supposed to be. I'm not the Christian that I'm supposed to be. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be because, you know what, it just burns me up this sister has the perfect textbook marriage and her husband is wonderful and her kids are great and mine are not and that's unfair and I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be because I'm bitter that I'm getting into my difficult years. I have all these aches and pains. I have all these problems. I serve the Lord faithfully. I'm not going to see some things in my grandchildren's life. I don't want to leave. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. I have lustful thoughts when I shouldn't. I have things that I think about people that I know that are wrong, but nevertheless, they're there. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. I'll be honest with you, I don't even like coming to services. It's boring. It doesn't get me going. I go because of rote. I go because I have I go because I want the elders to stay off my back. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. Now, can you relate to that? I'm not the Christian. That's the title of the sermon this morning. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. And I hope that you've never said that. I hope that those words have never been uttered. I hope you've never thought about that. But I'll be honest with you. There have been times in my walk I haven't been the Christian that I should be, and I knew it. So this sermon is for you. But if you've never felt that, you've never believed that, never said that, then it's also for you because I don't want it to ever happen. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. Well, what do we do about that? How do we prevent that? Or if I find myself in that situation, what do I do? Well, the first point to make is this. And it really goes back to that example that I gave you. Remember I talked about the young man Anakin knowing the teaching of the Jedi? 
knowing himself. Knowing himself. The first rule, the first prescription, the first thing I'd offer to you is that we have to examine ourselves on a regular basis if we're to avoid uh, of being the Christian or not being the Christian we should be. We've got to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 tells us this very clearly. We are to examine ourselves on a regular basis. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5. 2 Corinthians 13, chapter and the fifth verse. The Bible says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? And maybe this is surprising to you because Paul is talking to Christians at Corinth. Let that sink in for a Christians, what do you mean examine yourself whether you be in the faith? Paul, I've been baptized into Christ. Of course I'm faithful. Of course I'm in the faith. Of course I'm going to heaven. Not so fast. Not so fast. Now we would all say we don't believe. Once saved, always saved, because the Bible teaches that. But sometimes the way we act, we seem to feel that. That because I was baptized into Christ, now I just put it on autopilot, I've got spiritual tenure, and I'm going to march through the pearly gates. He says, examine yourselves whether you are in the... What does that mean? It is possible, it is possible that somebody can be baptized into Christ and lose their soul salvation. It's possible for them to have been in the faith and to fall out of the faith. If that's not possible, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 makes no sense. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. So that's the first point. We need to take a hard look at ourselves on a regular basis. And I mean an honest look at who we are. If you're not the Bible student you should be, you need to know that. If you don't have control over your lust like you should, you need to know that about yourself. If you're envious and jealous of others, you need to know that about yourself. If you have a problem controlling your temper, you need to know that about yourself. If you're prone to gossiping and bat, you need to know that about yourself. When we're asking people or demanding that people conduct a self-evaluation, I didn't say look at you the way your mama looked at you. I'm talking about looking at you the way God sees you. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews the fourth chapter and verse 12. We must examine ourselves on a regular basis. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The Bible says this. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And listen to this last part. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God will reveal you to yourself. You want to know who you really are. Not the way you like to think about yourself. Not the way you like to rationalize about your shortcomings and your things you miss and errors and omissions. But you really want to see who you are. The Bible says it is capable of revealing the thoughts and the intents of your heart. That is if you're honest with it. If you're honest with it. Now you can read that Bible with blinders on and not see yourself. But if you're honest and you want to know about yourself... Yes, there's some uh, uh, benefit to asking your spouse. Yes, there's some benefit to asking your children. Yes, there's some benefit to asking your fellow brothers and sisters of Christ. Yes, there's some benefit to asking the elders who watch over the welfare of the flock. But if you really want to know yourself, you go to God himself in his word. And you will know all about yourself, probably some things you didn't want to admit. But that's where it begins, right? We have to be honest. If we're in that position where we're not the Christian we're supposed to be, we know that. 
if that's the way we feel. We know we're not the Apostle Paul. We know we're not the Apostle Peter. We know we're not Sarah. We know we're not faithful as we should be. We need to do an honest self-assessment, and that needs to go on on a regular basis. Don't simply say, I've been baptized into Christ. I'm in the right church. I'm in the Lord's church, and I'm going to heaven, and nothing's ever going to change that. There will be a lot of surprised people on Judgment Day if that's what they believe. Because the Lord expects to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. There is to be growth. You're supposed to develop, have more capabilities. Return on the Lord's investment, as Matthew 25 uh, tells us. So the challenge is to look at yourself, evaluate yourself on a regular basis. Second point, if we want to avoid saying, I'm not the Christian that I ought to be, we need to develop and maintain a thankful heart to God and glorify Him. Say that again. We need to develop and maintain a thankful heart to God and glorify Him. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Romans, the first chapter, verses 18 through 23. If we're to avoid being the Christians that we don't want to be, we need to make sure that we thank God and we glorify Him. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Romans, the first chapter. Verses 18 to 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Listen to this part. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Did you see that? When you go on and read the rest of Romans chapter 1, you see this terrible list of awful sins, awful violations of the teaching of God. What is interesting about me is where did that all begin? Where's the genesis of that? What was the seed? What was the spark? What was the catalyst? He tells us, he said, this is the problem. Here's where it all flowed from. The fact that they knew God, but they were not able to glorify him, and they refused to be thankful. You see that? It, sometimes people miss that point. You see the, the, the practical implications of being theologically correct. He says this all began, all of this ungodly behavior, all of this immorality, when they didn't understand who God was and recognize him as such, be thankful and glorify him. Then, yes, that leads you down the road of depravity. And so we need to be careful, folks, that we don't take God for granted. We don't take what God has done for us for granted. We talked about in the... A class of Nehemiah about the things that God has done for us. Look at Psalm 19, 1 through 6. Turn over there. Psalm 19, 1 through 6. We need to develop a thankful heart to God and glorify Him so that we don't say, I'm not the Christian that I should be. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its course. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. What the psalmist says is the very creation itself 
the design in the universe speaks to, cries out to, glorifies, exalts a creator. That's why back in Romans 1 he says we're without excuse because the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. How do we have all of this precision in the universe? We have a sun that's just precisely placed in relation to the earth that life can even exist on this planet. And you know who did that? God. God did that. And here's the, the amazing thing. God just spoke into existence. You ever sit back and think about that for a second? A being that is so powerful can just speak are for. I mean, that boggles the imagination. Yes, I believe it because the Bible says it, but you can't explain that to me, and I can't explain it to you. All I can say is God did it. <laughs> and praise be to God for being so powerful that he can speak the entire universe into existence. Now, that's an incredible God. And then when you begin to start looking at the creation itself, it is an amazing thing. Look at Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. We need to be thankful to God and really glorify Him for all that He has done for us. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Listen to what the psalmist says. For you form my inward parts, directed to God. You covered me in my mother's womb. Verse 14. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. The psalmist says that we, as human beings, are fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, we just take too much for granted. We take sight for granted. We take our ability to heal for granted. We take our ability to hear for granted. We take the, the mental abilities. How do you explain this organ that gives us the ability to feel emotions. <laughs> I love studying about the brain. Uh, it's just fascinating to me. And, and, and man has not explained the depths of that. I mean, there's so much more to learn. We're just going to uh, get in the, the hem of the garment when it comes to that. But if you ever think about that, look at yourself. Just look at the human body. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. This designed body speaks to the greatness of our Creator. If we just take some time and appreciate. And thank God for these things. Acts 17, 24 through 25. Remember Paul was at Morris Hill and had an opportunity to address the philosophers who were very interesting. Remember the Athenians, they always wanted to hear something new and tell something new. And so what Paul was preaching about the resurrected Christ was a new thing. And this is what Paul says to these people who don't know the true God. He says in Acts 17, 24, 25, God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, uh, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Now listen to this. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Our lives. The breath that you're taking right now as you listen to me preach, did you understand that that's a gift from God? Isn't that something? You know, my, my uh, relatives are uh, fond of saying, hey, I woke up this morning, praise God. Everything's fine. I got it. God gave me another day. I, some older people in my family, they say it all the time. But younger people need to say that. <laughs> it's a blessing. God says, I gave you life. A gift. We didn't earn that. I like to remind myself, there was no mandate to God to create Kevin Clark. <laughs> God, he did. I'm glad to be here. But he didn't have to. 
Life is a gift, and we ought to thank God for that. Think about all the wonderful things you've experienced, uh, the love of a husband, the love of a wife, the love of children, raising children, uh, worshiping the Lord, uh, w- witnessing a baptism, uh, eating some good cooking. Uh, you know, what it is that really just you excited? All of that exists. All of those experiences were had because God gave you life. Do we think about that? Or do we just go on about it? Of course he gave us life. Yeah, what else? Yeah, I'm all that. I'm entitled. No, you're not. And we need to stop and thank God for that life. And might I say that, that the life is a gift, however short or however long it may be. Sometimes we, we get that mixed up, don't we? We kind of get in our minds, well, wait a minute, God owes me so many years. He gave him so many years. He gave her. What about me? Don't, don't misconstrue Psalm 90. Don't get that wrong. <laughs> he didn't say you're going to get 70 and 80 necessarily. If you do, that's great. And as the old folks say, if you go beyond that, living on borrowed time, that's great. But the Lord didn't promise that to you. Any amount of life you get is a gift. Think about that. Any amount of time. Say you just hit 40. That's 40 good years you wouldn't have had otherwise. The Lord gave it to you. And yeah, maybe you want to get to 45 and get to 50, but that's okay. Don't get angry. Don't get bit. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. <laughs> I earned the right to see you. Grandchildren get married. I earn the right to see my children have grand. Now, you didn't earn nothing. <laughs> you just enjoy the time that you have. Of course, you know, the fact of the matter is, I was talking about this the other day. When would you cut it off? You know, if it were up to you, when would you? There's always something that you're going to miss. There's always some other uh, milestone in your children or your grandchildren's life. So you'd have, you'd be living a thousand years. You'd never want to leave. That's not Christianity. It's time to move on. But the point I'm making is we need to be thankful to God. And not only for the physical things. Certainly we're very thankful for that. But listen to what the Apostle Paul said over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. We're talking about avoiding becoming that Christian who says that I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be. Okay, for I said 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, sorry about that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. 1 Timothy, the first chapter, verses 12 through 17. The Bible says this. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Ever for this reason I obtained mercy that me first, Jesus Christ, might show all longsuffering as a pattern of those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, listen to this. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul gets it. Paul gets it. Paul is thankful in his heart. He's developed a thankful heart. He maintains a thankful heart. He says, you know what? I was spiritually lost. I was an insolent man. I was a blasphemer. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was serving God, and I wasn't. But God had mercy on me. And he said, I am the chief of all sinners. But you know what? When you see the fact that I'm able to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and have my sins washed away, that's a pattern for everybody. Who cannot be reached by the gospel if Saul can be reached? That's the point. You see how thankful he is? I thank Jesus Christ who enabled me. Do you feel that way about your soul's salvation? I think sometimes those of us who are blessed, I'm one of them, to have, quote, grown up in the church, had Christian parents, you've been around all of your life, I think sometimes we miss this point. <laughs> Almost as if this was a birthright. Almost as if a new modern-day uh, Judaism. We're born into the covenant. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's not the case at all. We need to appreciate our soul's salvation. 
And that's, uh, we use language, and sometimes we don't even think about it. We say that we've been saved. Well, saved from what? Salvation doesn't mean anything to abstract. It's got to be from something, right? We were saved from hellfire that every single one of us of the age of accountability deserves. Let that sink in. You deserve hellfire. That's what you deserve. I don't want justice. That's justice. <laughs> I want some mercy. We, we just take things for granted. Thank God that Jesus died on that cross. That was the only way for us to be rescued from the wrath of God that is due. And we need to thank God for that every day. How can you get to the point where you've hit a wall, where you don't care anymore, when you think about what salvation means and you're thankful for that? That's an antidote to that kind of thing. The person who's hit the wall is not thankful. They're not thinking about all the many things that God has done, will do, and is doing for them. That's how we stay out of that. Third point, stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. If you want to avoid saying, I'm not the Christian, I should be a brother in Christ recently. And he made this observation. He said, Kevin, one thing I've noticed in my life is when I am actively and diligently studying God's Word, I'm really digging it out. I'm really spending time and really getting acquainted with the Word. He said, I've noticed something. Satan has a hard time appealing to me. I'm stronger spiritually. Things, the things that normally bother me just don't have the same drawing power. He said, but on the flip side, when I don't study the Scriptures as much, when my head is not thinking about and meditating on spiritual things, the devil has a field day with me. The things that I thought I was over with come back in full force. And I struggle. Might I suggest to you that that phenomenon is not limited to that brother. <laughs> That's true for every single one of us. Why is that? Because Ephesians 6 tells me that with the shield of faith, we're able to conquer and overcome the darts of the fiery one, right? Well, let's think about that, the shield of faith. And then we get to that, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I see a connection there. So the more faith that I have, which, by the way, comes from the word of God, then the stronger my shield is, which allows me what? To resist and overcome the darts of the devil. You see that? The more you stay in this book, the better able you are to be pleasing to God. The more you stay in this book, the more protected you are against Satan and his temptations. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. The Bible says, New King James Version, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Bible study is presented here as work. It's work. It takes effort. You don't just roll out of bed, throw open the pages, and there it comes. No, you've got to spend time at it, which means what? Sacrifices. Got to give some things up. You, we only have so many hours, 24. I've tried to get more. Believe me, I need it, but I can't get it. Got 24 just like you. And so we've got to start scraping things off the plate of life so that there's plenty of room uh, for the Word of God. You see that? But we're so busy, and I'm the worst offender among you. And we're going here and we're going there and we're doing this and we, and we just don't have time. You make time. You make time to eat, don't you? I do. You can tell by that. I ain't miss many. Uh, I, I, I'm going to make sure whatever's going on, I'm going to get me some food. Sometimes I had to go to heroic to get that food. But what about the Word of God? Man, I tell you what, if we look like the way we studied, 
There'll be a lot of emaciated people here, wouldn't it? A lot of skinny people. Oh, I mean, because you're barely even eating. You may not be eating once a day. Once a week. We've got to stay in that word. Look what Paul told Timothy in 2 Corinthians, I mean, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Listen to what he says about Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He tells Timothy, you know from whom you've learned the Scriptures. It was his mother and his grandmother who were faithful Christians. Remember that? He said, you know you've learned these things. And here's what I like about this. He says that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. What does that tell you? Children can understand the Word of God. Tell me otherwise. Don't tell me otherwise. Don't tell me Timothy was a special case. Don't tell me he had superpowers of it. No, he was a child that could know the Holy Scriptures, meaning that your children can know the Holy Scriptures if they're taught like Eunice and Lois taught Timothy. But notice what he said about these scriptures. Powerful. They're God breathed, they're inspired, and they give us every tool we need to be what God would have us to be in this world. Nobody can go on judgment day. We'll say, God, you didn't give me this, you didn't give me that. Did you read my word? <laughs> Did you it's right there in that book. question is, how much time do we spend with the book? Now, it used to be that members of the church, we were talk, uh, talked about as walking, talking Bibles. We just quote scripture, just come out naturally. I'm afraid those times have come and gone. A lot of us don't know the scriptures well. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about a particular church, but I have sat in some Bible studies where I said, yeah, Bible study, not what it used to be. <laughs> you, know, you can tell, it comes out. What about you? If somebody has a spiritual conversation with you, how long can you go? <laughs> Are you one of those people that can go a couple minutes and then the well is dry? There's nothing there. Go! <laughs> and then other people, they talk all day. See, we talk about things we like, right? Things we love, things that we're passionate about. We talk about, talk about some SEC football, man. People talk for seven hours straight. How long can you talk about the Lord and His Word and His teaching? We've got to stay in the Word if we want to avoid becoming... That Christian says, I'm not the Christian I need to be. But let me give you another point. Fourth point is this. We need to spend more time in prayer. We need to spend more time in prayer. I was talking to a sister recently. She was saying, you know, you have a funny thing. When we hear some bad news or somebody's going through something difficult, you know, we, we tend to almost ashamedly say, well, you know, I guess I'll, I'll pray for you. Almost as if that's like the option of last resort. We don't try everything else. But we, at the very end, we complete all that stuff. We just pray for you. It's a last ditch effort. She's like, no. I want you to pray for me. That's the most important thing you can do for me. The power of prayer. James 5.16. Do we believe that? Turn over there. James 5.16. We need to spend more time in prayer so we're not the Christian who says, I'm not the Christian I should be. James 5.16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen to this. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Then he goes on to give an example of this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Do you believe that passage? Do you believe that prayer works? Then why don't we do more of it? Why are we not a prayer for people? First Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. We should be always praying. Think about it. Somebody I don't feel close to the Lord. I don't feel like I have a relationship with God. 
I don't know about you, when it comes to relationships, they're built on communication, are they not? <laughs> the more that I talk with you and the more you talk with me, the more time I spend with each other, the closer we feel. So let me see if I can get this straight. You don't study your Bible very often, and your prayer life is anemic. You're one of those people that the only time you pray is you feel guilty when you have some food in front of you, so you've got to memorize prayer. You say that, and then right before you go to prayer, you got another memorized one you've been doing for 20 years, never changed it. You say that, boom, that's, that's all. Oh, 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 but when you're in trouble, <laughs> when you're in trouble, when you've got health care problems in your life or your loved one's life, somebody's got cancer, somebody's got somebody's about to undergo surgery, oh, then we pray. <laughs> God is the God of the valleys. But he's the God of the hills, too. We forget about him when things are going great. Things are wonderful. I don't need God. I don't want to talk to God. So you don't talk to God. He doesn't talk to you. <laughs> you think you're going to be close to God. He talks to us through Scripture. You talk to him through prayer. Put those two together, you feel close to God. Jesus said we need to pray. Look at Luke 18 real quick. I love this parable. We need to pray. Spend more time in prayer. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. The Bible says this. Then he spoke a parable to them. It's Jesus. He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice from me, from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but after he said with himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I love it when Jesus tells us in advance what the parable is about. And he said, This is clear. The whole point of this is men ought to pray always and not lose heart. And then he tells this story about this city. And there's this unjust judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about man. And there's this widow who wants justice to him. And eventually, you know, early on, he just turns her away. Time for this. But she just keeps coming. <laughs> she keeps coming. She's not going to stop. So he realizes, okay, I don't really care about God. I don't care about man. I don't care about this woman. But if I don't do something, she's going to make my life miserable. So let me do something. And God says, well, wait a minute. Now, if the unjust judge who doesn't care about God or man will do that, how much more so your heavenly father when his own elect, his own children cry out to him day and night. But that's the point. Cry out to him day and night. Men are always to pray, not sporadically. You know, some of us, we pray a couple times and we don't get it, we're done with God. Okay, I tried that, let me do something else. He said, cry out day and night. Pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5, 17. We need to be a prayerful people. How often do you pray? How rich is your prayer life? There's a brother in Christ over at Oak Mountain. Whenever he leads a public prayer, he, he, he amazes me. And when I get ready, like I've got to do one tonight, and what I'm going to do is when I get to the church, I'm going to get there a few minutes early, I'm going to grab, grab that bulletin, and I'm going to go through, okay, sister, okay, father, okay, and oh, yeah, surgery. This guy, who's probably about two decades older than me, whenever he prays, and he just goes bam, 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 he hits it all. Everybody that was in the bulletin, and then some. And, you know, I got to thinking, ha, is this guy doing? Whatever he's taking, I want to take. Whatever he, whatever vice. I, I said, brother, how is it when you pray? Just all these names kind of flow. I said, I pray for those guys all the time in my private prayer life. Whoa. I just slap cross face because that means what? Kevin Clark's not doing that. 
He just told you he's praying for those same people all the time in his personal prayers. Public prayers is an extension of what he's doing privately. <laughs> Not a big deal. That's slapping some of us across the face, right? We need to be doing more like that, brother, and praying for people by name in our private prayers. Do you do that? If you stay in that prayerful frame of mind, do you think you're going to be saying, well, I'm not the Christian I should be? No, I'm not saying there's not room for growth. Even if things are going well, there's always room for growth. I'm not saying that. But when you fundamentally know you're not where you need to be, your heart's not with God. You don't love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that can be done, folks. God tell us to do things that are impossible. If it's in the Scriptures, it can be done. If you're not there, stay in that prayerful frame of mind, and you'll get there. How can you pray to this loving, merciful, long-suffering, gracious God and not want to do everything in your power to please Him? Which means live right and teach right and study and all these things. It just flows. Let me give you a fifth point. If we want to avoid becoming the Christian that says, I'm not the Christian I should be, we need to faithfully assemble saints. Faithfully assemble. I didn't say radically. I didn't say every now and then. I didn't say when we feel like it. I didn't say when it's convenient. Faithful. Look at Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Hebrews 10 chapter, verses 24 through 25. We want to avoid being the Christian that says, I'm not the Christian I should be. Then we need to faithfully assemble with the saints. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Did you know that one of the reasons we're here is not just to glorify and magnify God, which is certainly the preeminent purpose. But one of the reasons we come together is to stir one another up to love and good works. And otherwise, to prevent people from hitting that wall. That I need to be encouraging you and you need to be encouraging me. And yes, there's a certain amount of encouragement that takes place just by the fact that I look out and I say, you know what, you took time out of your business schedule to be here just like I did. That is encouraging. I don't want to take away from that. But can we go a step further and say something to each other that has some spiritual consequence? I mean, hey, I love talking about SEC football with the great, best of them, you know. And we can talk about politics, and we can talk about the weather, and we can talk about our jobs. I'm not marginalizing or minimizing or discounting any of that, but can we say something spiritual when we come together as God's family? Can I ask you, how's your walk with God? How is that guy you've been working on, the one you're trying to have a class with at your workspace? How are you doing with your wife? How are you doing with your children? Can we have spiritual conversations and stir one another up to love and good works? Can we be intentional about it? When I come to services, I normally have a list of things I want to do. I never get them all done. And the list grows. Okay, that brother, he uh, did a great job leading the Lord's Supper. I need to talk to that young man. Oh, that guy did a great job reading uh, the scripture. He tells something about him. Oh, that sister's back from surgery. need to say something to her. Oh, this guy's having a hard time finding a job. I need to encourage him. Are you intentional, looking for opportunities to stir one another up to love and good works when you come together? And guess what? If you're going to do that, it can't be the 100-yard dash at the closing prayer. Boom! Gone. You can't encourage anybody like that. Yeah, it's good that you were here, but can you stay around just a few minutes in order to talk? And I know of the COVID procedures and all that, I understand, but there's still a way to talk. There's still a way to talk. And we need to encourage each other. We need to be faithful. And folks, if you're not here, guess what? You can't stir me up to love and good works. You can't do it. So come together. And I know we're struggling with, things, with, with virtual service and things of that nature. Can we all agree that, yeah, we did some things that maybe we felt like we had to? Can we all agree that it's best to be physically in person in the same place and space? We all agree with that. I don't know about y'all. It's better. <laughs> it's better. I feel better. I enjoy worship more when I'm here. Everything is better. Education is better. Law is better. Hey, in person, the, the trends are. 
There's a reason why we come together. To encourage each other. To stir one another up to love and good works. And Folks, if you're not here, you know, you can't do that. And here's the other thing. And I got to think about, well, why are you not here? Why are you not? Well, it's so important that you can't be here. Now, I'm not talking about people that can't be here because they're sick or things of that nature. But, but sometimes people just make some decisions and say, something else is more important than this. And that's the opposite of, <laughs> you're supposed to be stirring me up. Now you're depressing me. You're discouraging me. Well, this brother says something is more important than being with the Lord. Fishing is not more important than being with the Lord. Hiking is not more important than being with the Lord. I'm getting trouble now. You know, going to ball games is not more important than being with the Lord. It's not. It's not. I love ball games, but it's not more important than being with the Lord. And so we need to faithfully assemble so we don't wake up one day being that Christian who says, I'm not the Christian I should be. And lastly, lastly, I'll give you this. In order to avoid that, we need to stay away from Satan's sin trap. Again, we need to stay away from Satan's sin traps. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Hebrews the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Now listen to this. And the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says we have a race to run. We need to run it a certain way. Run it with endurance. He said we look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and we see how Jesus was able to endure the cross. Why? Because he was looking at the joy that lay ahead, and that strengthened him and fortified his will in order that he could do what God would have him to do. He says we do something similar, but he said we've got to prepare for that race before we run it. He said, we need to lay aside some weights. And yes, we need to lay aside. Did you notice how he said, the sin which so easily ensnares us? Let that sink in a little bit. The sin easily ensnares us. He's talking to Christian people now. He's not talking to people of the world. He said, oh, I see that in the world. He says, the sin that so easily ensnares us. You better fear sin and you better respect the damage it can do in your life and how quickly he can grab a hold of you. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I remember talking to a Christian. He said he was talking about a certain brother preaching. Man, that guy preached it like he'd never sinned in his life. Yes, he has. Romans 3.23 says he has. But we need to understand, folks, sin is a dangerous thing. And it can catch any one of us. Don't you say, well, that's for young people. <laughs> young people. How many times have we heard young people say, don't y'all lie, don't y'all fornicate, don't you all, as if the immorality is limited to young people. Now, I understand why we do that, but, but let me hear. Sin is present among everybody. Middle-aged people and older people. And Satan doesn't get a, uh, give up on you when you're in your 20s. Yeah, I'm, I did my best. I'll pack up my tools. No, sin is still coming after us. And so we need to understand that. And understand this. Look at Hebrews 11, 24, 27. Sometimes we forget this. Hebrews 11, 24, 27. Listen to this. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen to this. Verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God that to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteem the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Did you notice what the scripture said about sin? And we run right past that. Well, yeah, Moses, he made a great sacrifice, and he was going to be raised as a noble son of the Pharaoh, and he rejected that to be with his people. Great. But he said he forsook what? The passing pleasures of sin. Let that sink in for a second. The Holy Spirit said this, right? 
The Holy Spirit said that there is pleasure in sin. Oh, we're not supposed to say that, Kevin. How are we going to discourage young people? How are we going to? Let's be realistic, as the scriptures are. It wasn't that there was no pleasure in it. It says those pleasures are passing, and Moses was able to say, whatever pleasures should be derived from this, I've got a longer-term goal. I've got a more important goal. I want to be with God, and I want to be with God's people, and I want to identify with them, and therefore I forsake those pleasures. Don't be telling folks, including our young people, that there's no pleasure in sin. Why do you think so many people are caught up in sin? Yes, you say it's self-destructive. Yes, it's terrible. Yes, the way of the sinner is hard. I understand that, but know this. It's pleasurable to them. To them, there's no way. Why would they be doing it? Why is it so addictive? Because it's pleasurable. Be honest about that. But we also need to tell people, look, the reason why we don't engage in that, not because there's not pleasure to those who are caught up in it, it's because I'm trying to please God. I love God. I love Him with my heart, mind, and soul, and I know that displeases Him. I want to do everything in my power to make me. I love the way the Bible suggests that sin, all sin, is ultimately against God. You know, the greatest demonstration of that to me is Joseph. Joseph, and, and here's Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him, and, and he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And you're kind of scratching your head and say, well, what about Potiphar? <laughs> it seems to me if you're going to take his wife, it's a sin against him. That's minor compared to ultimate. All sin is against God. And here's why I like that for, for a second. Because Satan can play with you. Satan can get you to say, that wife ain't really being the way she's supposed to be anyway, so if you want to do a little wrong, it's okay. That husband's not being what he ought to be, so if you want to do a little bit wrong, it's okay. But here's the thing. You know, that argument doesn't work when you're talking about God. Hey, God hasn't done anything wrong. <laughs> God never burns the biscuit. God never raises his voice. God never embarrasses us. God never does anything that's negative. And so if all sin is against God, you can never justify any sin whether it's to an enemy, whether it's to somebody that does something wrong to you, whether it's your children, grandchildren, parents, grandparents, whatever it is, you can never just all sin against God. God didn't do anything wrong. I'm not suggesting that, that uh, your grandparents and parents are, are bad people and they don't do some nice things and, and they're not faithful Christians. They may be, but I just know that, hey, we're all human. We slip up. And I know how the devil works on my mind. I say, if somebody slips up, that gives you the, uh, the, the right to slip up too. Uh-uh. The Bible doesn't teach that. And especially doesn't teach that when all sin is against God who never slips up. And so we need to be careful. Understand these sin traps. And let me, you know, I'm, I'm talking to Jasmine a little bit. Everybody has to go through this as a parent. This run up to the driving age, which is very scary. It's got mixed feelings. But On the other hand, I'm driving all these different practices and all these different things. So I'm kind of, you know, yeah, I can't wait until I can live. But anyway. Um, but, but, you know, one of the things I've been telling her is defensive driving. Defensive driving. You look out and you see people, and excuse me, I'm going to say something that maybe the kids don't just cover your ears, but people will do things stupid. And so I just anticipate that people will do things stupid when I drive. And so I just look, and so I'll plan. I'll say, okay, if he does that stupid thing, then I'm going to do this, this, thing. That's defensive driving. We teach our kids. You may say it in nicer terms than I do. But, but that we teach our kids to drive defensively, anticipating What's going to happen and have a plan of reaction. So when it happens, bam, they've already got it mapped out. Don't have to think about it. It's almost instinct. What about defensive living? What about defensive living? Because you know the Satan has got traps for us everywhere. They're all over the place. And some of us just kind of stumble through life and don't make the same mistakes over and over again and wonder, why can't I whip this in? Why am I still finding myself in the same place? Well, are you doing anything different? <laughs> 
If you do the same thing over and over again and get the same result, why would you think it'd be any different? You've got to change something. Maybe it's, you've got to stop hanging around with the same people. You've got to stop looking at the same stuff. You've got to stop going to the same places. Something's got to change. That seems to me it's common sense. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. But we got people just blindly going into the lion's den. Well, I wonder why the lion chewed off my leg. Because you went into the den. Don't go in the lion's den. And maybe your leg will be fine. We've got to think about what are my weak points? What are the things that cause me problems? And then have a plan against those. Maybe there's things, you know. You see something, promise yourself, like Job 31.1, I make a covenant with my eyes. I see something, and that's the last time I look at it. Don't take that second look. Don't take that second look. And you know when you go certain places what you're going to see. So be prepared. Be in the frame of mind that you're not going to violate that covenant you made with your eyes. If you know that certain things, like some people get so worked up about the news, and it just, just depresses them. They get angry. They get upset. They lash out. They say things on social media they shouldn't say. They ruin their Christian influence. Hey, here's, a, here's a, just a free advice. Cut the TV off. <laughs> you don't have to watch it. If you know it has that effect on you, then cut it off. Maybe we'll be so angry and upset, and maybe we'll focus more on saving souls, which, by the way, is what we're supposed to be about anyway, I thought. So man came to that, that which is lost, right? Luke 19.10. And we're in his church, and that's what I, I'm not trying to uphold a political I'm trying to make America great. I'm not trying to, to rid uh, all this universe of all of its problems and ills, the poor you have with you always. But I'll tell you what I am trying to do. I'm trying to save souls, <laughs> and I'm trying to get people to heaven. And I'm not trying to make heaven on earth because you cannot make heaven on earth. And don't get me wrong. Somebody said, Brother Clark, he doesn't care about all the injustices and all the terrible things. I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all because God didn't say that. But also God told me the most important thing I have to do is to get to heaven and take as many people with me as possible. And may my political beliefs and may what I think about the world and what I think about America never come in the way of my to save souls. I would hate to be on judgment. And the Lord said, you know, you turned off about a half of the people with the things you said. People don't want to hear, people don't want to hear the gospel because you, you led with your politics. Am I hitting anybody's toes? I know that I am. I know that because every church I've been in has been the case. I've heard the reports. I've seen some of the stuff. Folks, we're here to save souls. <laughs> I'm going to heaven. I don't know about y'all. I really don't care who's in power. Somebody said, well, what you going to do when uh, uh, President Biden is in power? I'm going to serve the Lord. What about you? What you going to do if Trump gets back in power? I'm going to serve the Lord. What about you? <laughs> I'm going to serve the Lord no matter what. I don't care who's up in there. I don't care who has Congress, who's in the mayor's office, who's in the state legislature. We're going to serve the Lord. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't know what y'all are going to do. <laughs> and that's the attitude we ought to have. We're going to serve God. That's the most important thing that we have. And so here are some things. If you are that person who said, I'm not the Christian that I should be, may I encourage you to repent of that. It can be repented of. It can be changed. If you want to make sure that you don't ever become that person, do these things. Examine yourself. Look at yourself in the light of the Scriptures to find out who you really are. What are your shortcomings? We all have weaknesses. I have weaknesses. I know what my weaknesses are. And we, and we know Satan's playbook, folks. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, t- uh, 2 that uh, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. In John 2, 15 through 17, it says it appeals to us three ways. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. There you go, the playbook. We got Satan's playbook. You know yourself, so you ought to be able to navigate this life the way God intends for you to do because you're fully equipped for every good work by the scriptures that you're studying every day. And so we do have to examine ourselves. 
We also need to develop and maintain that thankful heart to God and glorify Him. We're so thankful for all the things that God has done for us. And we praise Him, folks. It's all right to praise the Lord. It's all right to thank Him. It's all right to audibly say, you thank God. I'm trying to be denominational. I'm trying to be biblical. That's okay. And we've got to understand that we need to stay in God's Word. We need to study His Word on a regular basis in order to fortify our faith and build that shield against the fiery darts of the wicked one. We need to spend more time in prayer. Because as we said, that's how we build a relationship with God. That's how we talk to God. Scripture is how God talks to us. Prayer is how we talk back to Him. And yes, we need to assemble faithfully with the Christians. We come together not only to praise God, which is the ultimate, but we also stir one another up to love good works, edifying each other as we come together. And finally, avoid. Avoid Satan's sin traps. We know what they are. We know ourselves. We should. If we study the Scriptures, we should. Don't be the person that goes into the lion's den. Don't make any provision for the lust of the flesh. Don't give place or opportunity to the devil. Ephesians 4 talks about that. Be wise in how you live. You know your weak points? Stay away from certain things. There are places I can't go. Maybe you can go. There are places I can go. Maybe you can't go. You know yourself, and you ought to. And you need to avoid the traps that Satan has waiting for you. And then I hope that you'll be able to say, or never say, that I'm not the Christian that I should be. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I'm not saying there's not room for growth. As long as you can draw breath, there's room for growth. But you ought to have the conviction that you know, 1 John 5, you know that you have eternal life. That's the ultimate question. If I ask you right now, do you have eternal life? If the Lord was to come right now, or you were to die right now, would you be convinced that you were saved from his wrath? And if you can't give me an unequivocal yes, we need to work on some of these things. <laughs> because John said, I wrote these things so that you may know you have eternal life. Not guess, not think, No. And so we want to encourage everybody to examine themselves, see whether you're in the faith. If not, make things right with God. If anyone's here not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become one. And being a Christian, we didn't say, are you religious? We didn't say, uh, do you like religious things? You're interested. I didn't even ask if you're a believer. I said, are you a Christian? That means, have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is a concept. We can obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do I obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I hear the message, and once I hear the good news, that's what gospel means, I hear that news, I react to it. I react to it. I react in faith. that is being presented. And it is a certain kind of faith. It's not mental assent. Oh, yeah, okay, Jesus didn't want about me. It is a kind of faith that compels us to do what the Lord says. We see that in Hebrews 11. By faith, all those wonderful things that were done, the cloud of witnesses. By faith, we repent of our former way of life. By faith, we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And by faith, we are baptized for the remission of our sins. That's not sprinkling, and that's not pouring. Why? Because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches baptizo in the Greek means immersion. To be immersed into the water, we contact the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins, and we are brought out of that water grave of baptism, a new creature in Christ. It's the best feeling in the world to have all those sins lifted up, and now you can be a willing vessel for God to do His work, to seek and save that which is life which is the most honorable work to be done on this side of the grave. I know that because that's the work that brought Jesus down from heaven. It must, by definition, be the most great work to be done on this side of the grave. And then when you do that, you spend your whole life not just being a carpenter, not just being a machinist, not just being a housewife, not just being a doctor, not just being a lawyer, not just being an engineer, not just being a homeowner or home builder. You spend your life seeking and saving souls. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're a soul. Every one of us. Man, woman, child who's reached age of accountability has become a Christian, you are in the soul-winning business. And so you spend your whole life and you do two things that Paul told Timothy if you're going to be in that business. 
And I know he was talking to a younger preacher, but it applies to us too. He says, take it into yourself and into the doctrine. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. 1 Timothy 4, 16. We need to make sure, are we following the doctrine we teach and preach? And second, are we teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? If we do those two things, then we'll have a home in heaven with all eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and all of God's people from all the ages. If you are subject to that invitation, we ask you to come forward as we stand. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.